Algar Productions. Welcome to the Post Atomic Space 1999 podcast with your hosts, Ron Algarwatt and Matt Robotham. Covering Season 1, Episode 8, Dragon's Domain. Hi, friends. Here we are again. Mm hmm. And it's time to do the show and boy this was a special request yes this was this was a this was a patreon request mm-hmm. from uh uncle bradford who is that that's the only name i have for this person this All right th- this dude has done uh some great artwork for us he's the one who draws uh uh in sort of the style of the animated series yes very good stuff i really like his stuff yeah me too and um I've actually, uh, like, he, he donated some of that stuff, and then I ended up commissioning some more just because I liked it so much. And mm-hmm. and uh, when I uh, uh, commissioned some, he was apparently, uh, had, had fallen on some hard times, and he's like, dude, I, I was, like, so broke, and you offered me money, like, right when I needed it. Thank you so much. I'll return mm-hmm. the favor and donate to your Patreon. So it's a awesome. nice, nice sort of um, quid, quid pro quo there. Quid pro quo, Clarice. Yes. And... um. Uh, but of course, the price for that is that we had to watch uh, a show of his choosing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Space 1999. Yep. It's always interesting when we get something that I know literally nothing about. Yeah, I know very little about that my own self. Space 1999 is not just a show that I was aware, like, you know, I was aware of but never watched or like. Yeah. Any- Space 1999 is a punchline. Yeah. It, is it, though? That's, like, is it known that's for being what bad? I know it- no, I I don't know about that, but I've literally heard it in TV shows used as a punchline. Like, huh? I was busy watching Space 1999. I'm a nerd. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. It. I didn't know what to expect. I just assumed it was one of those sort of like uh, trying to recapture the magic of Star Trek things, and it kind of felt like that. There was a lot of 2001 in this, too, I felt. Yeah, which I actually kind of dug, but we'll get into mm-hmm. that. We, we, sure. like, we liked very different things about this, as you will we see. We sure learn. fucking did. Also, if you can't tell, uh, I'm a bit under the weather. I'm recovering from my annual uh, horrible cold, so, so that's nice fun. Be nice to Al. He has a cold. Uh, no, I don't, I don't care about that. Nobody's ever nice to me. Why would they Be start nice now? to Al. <laughs> Nobody's ever nice to me. Why would they start <clears throat> now? <clears throat> but my, my point for this is... Um, I, I may have been a little delirious watching this. I may have uh, may have misinterpreted a few things. So uh, so bear that in mind. As I, as I tell you what happened in Dragon's Domain. Also, we're off to a great start there. We know the only thing I love more than realms is domains. Mm-hmm. Here we go. It is the distant future, the year 1999. And once again, I'm stealing this joke from Flight of the Concords. We begin with some lady dictating the story to her space typewriter, kind of foreshadowing that this is all going to be a dream or an imaginary story. Then we meet our hero, Space Tony, who wakes up in a sweaty heap and is menaced by a space cloud. This exact thing happened to me last night, but you didn't see me burying an axe in my neatly arranged rack of 70s modular appliances. Then Space Tony wanders off aimlessly in a sweaty delirium, which, again, happened to me about 12 hours ago. He tries to steal a shuttle, but is thwarted by Martin Landau, who's like, well, say you want the biggest sci-fi star of the 70s, Charlton Heston, but you can't afford him on a TV budget. Martin Landau fills that same basic need and will work for a fraction of the cost, and as an extra bonus, will provide about 500% more face. That's quite a deal. 
<laughs> the Landau face consults with a doctor, who also happens to be the lady at the space typewriter from the beginning. She relates Space Tony's exhaustive and exhausting backstory. He was a hotshot pilot sent to explore a new planet. Upon arriving there, he discovered a graveyard of ships, and then the stupidest-looking monster since the Mugatu. The next approximately 90 hours are basically a monster and people screaming and more monster and more people screaming and Matt probably clapping his hands like a small child and me wishing I could go back to bed. Checks out. Also, more monster and screaming and monster and screaming. Finally, Tony is rescued by the Space 1999 people who I guess live on a moon that escaped Earth's orbit between galaxies? They repeated this several times, but it never exactly made even one single micro lick of sense. Anyway, nobody believed him that there was a monster, because of course they fucking didn't, and the next seven-thirds of the episode is everyone not believing him. The only thing that'll convince them, naturally, is several more hours of monster and screaming. And screaming. And monster. Which, of course, we get, because that's how this kind of story works. But naturally, Space Tony knocks everyone out trying to help him so he can fight the monster and scream alone. Then everyone shows up and kills the monster, and Tony dies a hero, I guess? That's what the Lady Eater space typewriter says anyway, and we have to believe her, because she said it poignantly at the end of a science fiction story. And what's more true than something solemn spoken by someone in space pajamas looking almost directly at the camera while they say it? You know, Captain, uh -huh. more and more of my life, I think that... We learned almost I too late that man is a feeling creature. Yeah. Ever since I saw that MST, like, the, those little speeches are just ruined for me in any kind of sci-fi. I, I was well aware of them before MST called attention to them. But That was the one that put the name. Oh, okay, I get it now. Yep. And, and what is that one, by the way? Is that Phantom Planet? I think that's Phantom Planet. Yeah, and the one I'm referring to, he learned almost too late that Man is a Feeling Creature, is uh, It Conquered the World. I thought that was Monster of Go-Go. No, no, no. No, that's uh, Douglas Awoke. Uh, that one no. I don't know. Of normal size, 500 miles away. <laughs> uh, the one I'm talking about had um, uh, Peter Graves. I'm Peter Graves. Yes. Uh, and was like the first MST. I had a tape of that and uh, Gamera versus Zegra that I, mm -hmm. the only MSTs I saw, I saw for like five years and just yep. watched them into the damn ground. Yep. I had a couple of those too. Yeah. Also one single episode of Kids in the Hall that I know way better than any of the others. <laughs> uh, so... Like like I mentioned before we started, uh, we liked very different things about this. We did. Uh, what did you? So what did you think about this? Like I thought, good or bad? Uh, basically, overall, I don't think I have a big enough sample size to say. Sure. I think sometimes when we see an episode of some old show that I've never seen before, it's like, okay, I get it. I don't need to see anymore. Here, I I don't know because I can't imagine they fought a monster every week. No. In fact, this felt very much like. A show where having an alien monster show up would be like a very rare thing. You know, like it feels like one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the fact that no one believed him kind of implied that these people don't see this week to week. Yeah. Like this feels like a very we are working in space. There's no aliens or whatever. It's just humans working in space. Yeah. Which I mean, I liked that. Sure. And I think you found that boring, but I enjoy a sci fi show that feels sort of like real science. And mm -hmm. I get, I totally get, I was just as bored by 2001 as, as a lot of people are, mm -hmm. but there's, there is something cool about 2001. There is like the idea that that's what space really looks like. And I can see from your notes, you were real bored watching the ships dock and all that stuff. More ships docking. The thing is they didn't play out in that real time way that 2001 did where it's like you're checking your watch. It's just mm -hmm. 
the ships moved slowly. The The editing was done in a way that it didn't take up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. But you got the impression that ships don't just zip around because they don't. And no, it's very it's a very methodical, realistic like ships docking. I, look, I love me some Star Wars and Star Wars influenced sci-fi. Like I mm-hmm. love ships acting like jets and just like pew pew pewing all around. But <laughs> but on the other hand, like if you're going to do a sci-fi show, why not acknowledge that science is a thing and maybe mm-hmm. it's hard for a ship to turn around and maybe mm-hmm. there's no sound and like I thought they I thought they split the difference real well. I thought I think I think it's a, a unique. Well, you got take. a lot of that 2001 realism without it taking up a lot of screen time, I thought. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was wrong about that because you felt bored. So. Fill this 50 minutes with more docking. Yeah, no, I like I said, I think it was implied that it took a long time, but it didn't like actually take a long time. The thing, the thing is, though, as slow as everything moved, the models in this are so fucking good. They are, and the sets, too. Yeah, like, everything in this looks really good and expensive for 1970-whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I probably should have looked up even the first uh, fact about this. I'm, like mm. I said, a little little uh, fever delirious. Usually I sure. do a little bit of homework. I, I did not. I have no background. I don't know what the premise of the show is short of what they told us. Like, yeah, I like 1975 this is uh, from. Okay. I felt that feels about right. The yeah. the uniforms first of all are the only thing I would say that didn't like live up to the production value of everything else. But that said, they the looked very a, 70s. They looked a lot like the motion picture uniforms. Mhm. Yeah. That's sort of right like right down to the right down to the bell bottoms. Yep. All of it. And This is what we thought the future would look like in 1975. And uh, you know, that's fine. But it also felt like there was probably some input from you know, you like an Asimov or an Arthur C. Clarke or some somebody who like maybe wasn't directly involved in science, but at sure. least had written some science fiction that was kind of like it felt plausible in some ways, which I like. Mm-hmm. I no, like, it def- that was definitely the vibe I got. Yeah, I like that kind of thing. But then there's the basic premise of the show, which is, I guess they were on a moon base and the moon got blasted out of Earth's orbit and is now between galaxies. I guess shrug like that's that's what I picked up from. Yeah, that's what she said. One two episode. Or three, she said that two or three times yeah. and it did not make like I said in my summary did not make more sense the more time she said it. The but, moon escaped. Yep. I, but was real sad for everybody. But for a lot I for the longest time she said this moon escaped. Like, is there more than one? We found more moons in the future of 1999. I guess so. There was one hiding around the back. I guess so. What it really could have used, and I can't believe I'm I'm citing The Prisoner as a good show for getting yes. getting you up to speed for a uh, for backstory. But the opening of The Prisoner, as you guys pointed out, did play out what happened. Like, oh yeah, no the 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 Prisoner definitely let you know sort of what was going on. And Space 1999 didn't do the best job of like I wasn't real clear dropping into the middle like this. Like what who these people were or what they were up to. I, I kind of figured it out. But. Certainly didn't. What it did have was the funkiest fucking opening credit sequence I've ever seen in anything. Yeah, you talk about 1975. That was... Holy fuck. That was very good. That was like... Of all the non-Star Trek shows we've covered on this show, I think maybe Wonder Woman might give it a run for its money, but otherwise the most disco-tastic thing we've ever touched. That was a pretty funky opening, but I, I, I'm going to say that Space... Or, uh, space yeah, Space 1999 was... Yeah. A much funkier opening. Mm, 
don't it was know. so funky it would have been my quote if it had been, if this had been my episode. I I definitely considered it. And the show itself like is not funky at all. No. Not there's not one. It's well, ve- it's very uh restrained, I would say. And white. A very very white. Now, it's a white show full of white people. It is. Whiting it up. It is. And that's my good thing. No, let me let me <laughs> let me back up here. Let me talk about how great white people are. No, it is pretty much entirely white people, mm-hmm. which I don't love. But they did at least make an effort to make the space mission somewhat multicultural. It would have been nice to see some non-white people. Uh, but they did put in an Italian dude and some mm-hmm. British dudes, an American dude. They they name-checked a Russian who didn't appear in the episode, but he seems to be part of the thing. Uh, mm-hmm. There were a fair amount of women. Like, they, they could have done a better job. But it seemed like they were trying to continue that legacy of Star Trek, like the the whole International Space Station vibe, and that was Mm kind of cool. Not just white Americans spreading Manifest Destiny across the universe. Yeah, we had, had, like, you know, our main, you know, big face Martin Landau, (laughs) and that's it. Like, everybody else was from somewhere else. Like, Mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of, like, square-jawed American dudes like uh like you say manifest destinying mm-hmm. which was nice. Yeah, I'm seeing from the I've got the Wikipedia page open now mm-hmm. and I'm seeing this is a British and Italian uh ah, production. That would so explain the presence That explains of, a few things of Brits and Italians. But mm-hmm. but even still, like the dream for the longest time has been traveling space, you know, with representatives from all of Earth and not just America. Yeah. So Yeah, exactly. You know, that's nice. I also really liked uh, at one point, they want to go check out this monster, and there's a dude in charge who uh, we both noted sounded like the cartoon version of uh, James Bond's M from the uh, from the Super Ego sketch. Now, see here, 007. Yes. Uh, but uh, basically said, you can't go on this mission because it's going to cost too much, and I kind of mm. like, I don't know that I've seen another space show, they probably exist. But, oh, sure. But I don't think I've seen another space show that actually deals with uh, we're in a future where capitalism is still very much a thing, and we have a budget, and we can't yeah. we can't waste time chasing monsters. And I kind of like that as a plot device. Yeah, I'd like to think we as humanity would have our shit together enough to say science wins, and we'll figure out the cost. But mm. in a more realistic setting, look, the people who control the resources are going to have the final call over what you're allowed to do. Yeah. And that was an interesting extra bit of conflict. It's like we can't just go rocketing off checking out every theory because things cost money. Well, and I like I, the the argument there. Like on the one side, we've got like the business guy. And on the other side, we've got the pure science guys. So like, no, this is like interesting space stuff that could like really help mankind and everything. Yeah. And it costs too much. I kind of I kind of like again. Yeah. It's it's an interesting conflict that we haven't seen in Star Trek and sort of Star Trek adjacent shows before, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. Uh, but I liked all that space stuff. You seemed to be a bit bored by that and then kind of turned around like when the monster stuff happened. Yeah, yeah, just when I was getting bored, then a fucking giant tentacle monster burst out of a closet mm-hmm. and started screaming at people and using his lighting effect to uh, l- to lure people into not his mouth, but the space under the door where you could tuck in and then have your skeleton shot out on a, on, on a gurney. Yeah, there's a... There's another mystery science theater movie, and I can't remember which one it was, but it was a Roger Corman movie. Mm. It's the one where everyone's named Steve. Is that the one with the giant pickle? No, 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 no. That was the one I was talking about a minute ago. It conquered okay. the earth, or it conquered the world. Uh, no, this was in Wither Season 7. 
Okay. Uh, God, I don't remember. And today is the worst day for me to try to remember things sure. anyway, but I, I don't remember. Uh, but, but there was a, a mystery science theater, Roger Corman joint where he, uh, where the monster basically had to get close enough for people to start sort of edging oh. underneath of it. Oh, fuck. Okay. I remember the one you're talking about now. Yeah. It's like the big quilt monster. Yeah. That's the one. Oh God. And it had two nearly identical white dudes named Steve, but they were different mm. characters. Oh, God. It's yeah. right on the tip of my tongue, and it's got, like, that stupid theme music, too. That I don't remember. But it was in it was in season seven, which is, like, my favorite season of that show, and it only had, like, six episodes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, it felt very Roger Corman-y, is my point. Very sort of low-budget. It's the creeping terror. Uh, yes, it is. That is the correct... Wait. No, it is not. I think it's Night of the Blood Beast. No, Night of the Blood Beast has that weird monster with the British accent that's like, no, don't kill me. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, you're right. Man, those all run together for me. They sure fucking do. All right. In any case, it felt like, you know, Roger Corman, king of the sci-fi B-movies, mm -hmm. low budget, you know, doesn't care, just get it done. Yep. Like, uh, and, you know, the, the his cheerleaders would say, like, he gets it, in, you know, on time and under budget every time. Hurry it up, we gotta be off the lot by five. Yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I did you like the monster because it was cheesy or because it was cool? I, honestly, it looked really cool. Really? Like, for 1975, that was a good fucking tentacle monster wedged in the door. Alright, I, I don't agree, but this is a matter of aesthetic preference, I think, so, you know. I mean, like, this thing is literally playing to everything I, li I like to see in a doorway monster, so, well, like... If you if you look at the plot in a broader sense, this mm -hmm. this is basically the doomsday machine. Sure. This is dude finds space monster, comes back half crazy, wants to fight space monster again. Nobody believes him, goes in on his own on a suicide mission. That's the doomsday machine. Yep. No wonder you liked it. Uh-huh. This is a little. Well, first of all, I, I kind of this is another one where they don't explain anything. I kind of like that. Mm -hmm. It's just this weird area in space where like there's all these like wrecked ships and stuff. Yeah, there's like a ship graveyard, which that also seemed like a cool idea. And I don't know that these guys have run into a lot of aliens. And why didn't you study the ship graveyard while you're at yeah, it? Yeah, no, they seemed they seemed real excited to get away from it as quickly as possible. Well, I, I get that, but I don't know. They're like, here's 10 different examples of different aliens. Why not? Mm -hmm. Nope, nope, gotta go. Nope, nope. Okay. Sorry, we have budget to deal with. I, I guess. But no, I, I, get, I get why it appeals to you. It's just so many things that made the Doomsday Machine work for mm -hmm. me didn't here because the monster was so dumb. It sure was. And because... I love him, but... Uh... And we spent so much time disbelieving this guy when we, the audience, already knew he was right. That's the thing. And if you had made, if they play, if they hadn't seen the flashback, and yeah. like the whole episode mystery, was flashback. But, yeah, if like this had been a mystery about whether this dude, like, was crazy, actually saw an alien or just butchered his crew. Yeah, which is entirely possible considering his uh, quarters have eighteen million swords in it. Oh yeah, half your notes are counting. The things on the wall in this guy's quarters, which I would not have noticed if half your notes hadn't been about that. Well, it was the weirdest, like, first, I, I just happened to notice he's lying in bed and there's, like, two swords crossed over the bed. And I'm like, it's kind of weird, I guess. And then it pulls out and you keep seeing more and more swords on the wall and spears and axes and guns and just, like, 
all this guy had was thousands of weapons, like, slapped on his wall. Yeah, seriously, I would not have noticed any of that. It just looked like stuff on the wall to me. But you, mm-hmm. that, this is a long-running thing. You notice the, the shovels and the fans and such. Mm-hmm. I just, like, I don't know. Someone, some set designer just decided this guy was into knives, I guess. Yep. I did one of 38 axes to kill his VCR with. It was definitely a VCR. You're, you're right about that. Mm-hmm. It was also a very cool, like I said, 70s modular appliances. It really was like it looked like all different machines that all fit together perfectly in this cool tower. Like, yep. I want my stereo to look like that, man. It looked cool. Yeah, man. You got your stereo. You got your VCR. You got your Victrola. Got your cassette player, your 8-track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what else can I name? Mm-hmm. I mean, Victrola is kind of a different century, but, uh, you know, you're trying. <laughs> it's on the top. It's the only place there's room for the tube. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the that dude, you're, you're right. That dude could have been actually crazy. But the problem is when we know what happened and then people yeah, don't believe just... him, then it's just every stupid monster movie ever where it's mm-hmm. like, no, young drifter, my my simple, idyllic small town has never seen anything like that before. <laughs> okay. You're going to regret that when you get zapped with a laser and turn into a skeleton. Yep. Except nobody did. Why did he knock them all out? They were going to go help him. See, I thought he was being controlled by the monster with, like, its weird light thing. But, like, they never say that or anything. And he might just want to run off and, like, kill the monster by itself. Also, I'm not really clear how they killed the monster. Did they kill the monster? They shot it with guns that didn't work. Yeah. And then some, like... Other dude attacked it with like a like a medical axe or something. <laughs> a medical axe. Well, he got it out of the medical box. Oh, okay. So medical axe. Well, it's at least sterile. You don't know that it's a medical. It's not necessarily for performing surgery. It's just been sterilized. Quick, get me my medical hatchet. I have to remove this man's appendix as horribly as quick as possible. Yeah, yeah. that must be what it's for. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah, I I don't. Uh... I don't know. I don't know if they killed it. I maybe I lost interest by that. Point. Maybe it might. They, maybe they killed it. Maybe it left. There was a lot of screaming going on at that point. Yeah, so. I tuned out a little during that because it did happen for so long. And not just the people. The monster screams a whole lot too. Like. Yeah, yeah. Also, the getting back to the ship graveyard. Mm-hmm. Every, every time people saw that, they compared it to something to do with cars, which I found very odd. Yeah, right. One of them was like, "Well, maybe it's the alien car park." Yes, maybe they parked their lorries and their double-decker buses there, British lady. <laughs> but then someone else, uh, what, what did they say? I wrote it down because it was just so so. It fucking... was like a scrapyard or something. Yeah. No, but they said something even more specific than that, and I don't remember now. Perhaps it's like one of our modern Earth scrapyards full of cars it's and like trucks and other things. Demolition derby or something. Just oh, like, God. What, what are you talking about? Uh, uh, a space motor show. That's what it was. Oh, Lord. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Why? What? You know? Uh, never mind. Uh, was, Fine. There were things that I found very interesting, and we hardly ever followed any of them. No, we were too busy getting back to whatever the fuck else was going on. It was an interesting choice to make a good chunk of the episode flashback, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. I do when it comes down to, like I say, spending so much time disbelieving this guy when we, the audience, already knew he was right. Yeah. But I don't dislike that as a like i don't know 
I don't know what episode is this. Like, as, how far are we into the series? Good question. Know? Like, um, I, again, this is information I normally would have, and I I do apologize. I'm usually a little more prepared. I don't know. There's a lot for... going on in the old on the Wikipedia entry. Well, uh, I'm not seeing a list episode. In so. in any case, it felt like sort of filling in backstory in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, here's a guy who was on a mission prior to what we're up to. And the backstory was kind of filling in. He, he like explored this other planet and all that. And I, I kind of mm. like that. If you're, if you're sort of stuck in a, in a setting that you can't go back to earth and you can't like get new people, really, it's in, it's interesting to find ways to sort of fill in the gaps and say, here's a guy who got here this way. It's a little different. Uh-huh. And I, I didn't dislike that. I just, like I said, it kind of diffused the tension to do it the way they did it. But, yeah, it really does. Like, yeah. Also, his name is like uh, uh, Collini or something. It it basically sounded like Chickalini, which is one of Chico yeah. Marx's characters in one of the Marx Brothers movies. And every time I was just like, that's okay, boss. <laughs> okay, I'll be right to there. Oh, no, it's a monster. <laughs> the whole time. Oh, man, he ate the crew. Uh, Sorry, the crew and a hard-boiled egg. Uh, uh, two yep. hard-boiled eggs. Yep. Uh, Your bad thing definitely merits some discussion, though. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. So the last fucking thing in this episode, after the guy has sacrificed himself, maybe defeating the monster, Shrug, mm-hmm. uh, uh, typewriter girl turns to other white guy and goes, well, I'm sure that Tony would have been happy to be part of a new myth or whatever. Because they got into this whole thing. It's like we're in space and like, you know, we're going to have to start inventing new myths. Yeah. When, we, like for whenever when we, we colonize, whenever we get to the new place, we're going to need like new. And yeah, you're not wrong. But also, first of all, you can't force these things. They happen naturally. No. And second, is that really your priority? Like colonizing? Well, we uh, food, breathable air. Nah, we need myths. Yeah. No, that's the order. You go. Uh, you go myth, f- breathable air, food and water. I, shelter. I, okay. I don't know. It just seems like that's why every manned uh, space mission brings Hercules with them. <laughs> the actual dude? Yeah, Hercules. He gets around a lot. He goes on a lot of space adventures. Oh, is it dubbed Hercules? Is he like I am Hercules? It is absolutely dubbed Hercules, and he is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, weird. But the actual Arnold Schwarzenegger is still yes. here on Earth with it, us. Yes, of course. It's a different person. Yeah, obviously. It's uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Hercules in New York uh-huh. in space. Right. There's so much I don't know about space travel. I am very excited to be going into space. <laughs> but but yeah, you're not wrong that this like basically this ends up being the story of someone driven mad by uh, uh, stress and trauma and mm-hmm. no one believes him. And then he dies like uh, proving himself right. And then everyone's like. Yeah, so now we can tell kids about this. That's a good yeah, thing, exactly. right? Like, wow. No, it's just like, she's. it's it's one of those pat end of episode things. That Star Trek did a, did a bunch oh, of them, yeah. too, where it's like, you know, as, mu- as awful as everything was, you know, I think Tony would be happy to know that he was part of this new, this new universe we're forging. You know, I don't know Tony that well. I just got here, but... I'm going to I'm willing to bet that he's not thrilled by the fact that nobody believed him for 5 years and then the thing out of his nightmares ate him. Yeah, this is not a retelling of uh what is it St. George and the Dragon? Yeah, which is the one they bring up, I assume to tie yeah. it into the title. Yeah. This this is the story of um Don Quixote except the windmills actually were giants and then he was trampled by a giant. Mhm. Like that is not 
that is not a good story. Like what, what a great fucking myth. What's the lesson for children to learn? What's the what's the moral, you know? Like don't go into space would be my first guess. Well, we already live in space, so that doesn't help. Don't get eaten by anything in space, which honestly is probably good for living on Earth too. Do Try you, not to get eaten. Do you need do you need stories for that? I feel like there's certain things that we're kind of born knowing. I don't know, a lot of fairy tales are about don't get eaten by anything. Uh, I think there's something more like don't get eaten by a witch is really don't trust old ladies giving you free candy. Mm -hmm. Or a wolf. Don't get eaten by a wolf. Or or don't go eating people's houses no matter how delicious they look. Stay out of the fucking woods. I don't know. The woods can be fun. I had a lot of fun in the woods as a kid. <laughs> Just found old barrels. No, we well. We uh we we occasionally found uh, construction sites and uh, mm -hmm. oh boy. Oh, yeah. Like unmanned construction sites with like fucking like insulation guns that shot that foam and like Oh dude, like I could get into construction sites in the 80s. I don't even want to know what you got up to in the 70s when there were no laws. How old do you think I am? Shrug. I was I was 6 when the 70s ended. Okay. It was mostly the 80s. <laughs> But yeah, uh, the woods were fun. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. That that did suck as an ending. It's that, bad. Yeah, it was it was not great. Um, and uh, my bad thing is basically your good thing, which is mm -hmm. I thought the monster kind of like stupid, stupid monster. I just I thought we were going with a more realistic sci-fi thing. Mm -hmm. I thought we were going with a more like okay, and again. I praise 2001 for its technical filmmaking. I do find it dull. It's a very dull movie. It's a Stanley Kubrick movie, and bring on the hate mail. I think most of his movies are slow and plodding. That's just how I feel about it. That's fair. But, um... I only like two of them. All right. The Shining and... Uh, Clockwork Orange. Ah, okay. Never saw it. Which I haven't seen in years and probably wouldn't like now anyway. I've seen a bunch of his movies, but I have not seen that one. Yeah. Um... But uh, just not for me. I am ADHD as fuck. Like, and sure. movies that don't get to the point or keep me interested, I I lose interest in. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily want to see, like I said, long shots of ships docking. But I do like the idea of a TV science fiction show trying to approach things more realistically. And I don't know if they actually did that or if it just looked like they did that. That's definitely the vibe I got from this. Like, But it might just be like they were trying to trying to sort of like do that that stolen glory thing they're trying to like look this looks like 2001 therefore it's science mm -hmm. maybe maybe they got a bunch of shit wrong i don't know i mean this fucking moon escapes the gravity of earth and shot between galaxies th like that makes no sense to me i love but, the idea of just the moon left one day but it, it's even the moon escaping is makes a little sense but between galaxies like you know mm -hmm. you know how big that is right i mean the the amount of time it takes to get out of this solar system yeah exactly and like uh yeah anyway especially but, at moon pace which i imagine is not very fast no i with people on it especially like for weighing them, it down for well no for them to be able to survive it sure means it couldn't have been going that fast but in any case i was willing to believe that it was like a more realistic depiction of space travel than we usually see on TV and then bug eyed monster. Mm -hmm. And I just like, it feels like really your complaint and my complaint are coming at it from two different directions, but they're essentially the same thing, which is fucking pick a lane. Yeah, totally. 
Like you were bored until I was enjoying until. Yeah. It, it felt like two different shows sort of smashed together. Is well, our, one is or the other, complaint. figure it out. Yeah, yeah. basically. Because if you want to be lost in space and fight a ridiculous looking monster every week, all right, I might even be on board with that. Sure, there's a place for that. And there's also a place for like more serious, I don't even future I, space travel serious. Like I don't even necessarily realistically. want, I don't even want serious necessarily, but realistic is what I was going for. Like there still could have been some levity. Sure. But there should just, have been. Just not, you know, like uh, every depiction of pop culture, sci, you know, uh, space travel. Like, I, mm-hmm. I like I like when things say, oh, yeah, it takes a minute for a ship to turn around. Or there's no sound. Like, uh, Battlestar Galactica did this pretty well. Mm. Like, when the fighters had to turn around, they'd have to, like, retro rocket around, and it took them a minute, and, like, yep. nothing made any sound out there, and just, just some some basic acknowledgement that that the laws of physics exist yeah that's all again don't want slow plotting 2001 shots just just some acknowledgement that that the world i live in is something like this world Mm -hmm. that's all i'm saying uh what else um I get a night uh, note here that says white spacemen in their tight white underwear which you could definitely (sighs) see through those uh those uniforms yeah, again, very much like the motion picture uniforms. Very tight, very pajama-looking. Yep. Pastels, bell-bottoms. Oh, I like the way they did rank by, like, like one of the arms of the of the uniform was, like, a different color. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, medical, they've got, like, a blue one or, like, mm-hmm. you know, other colors also existed. Yes. Come on, Matt. Remember. Remember things from this memorable show. It's like, I want to say one, like, Command was red, and then I'm like, that's Star Trek. Uh-huh. And I'm like, wait, was it like that? Were they ripping off Star What's happening? They, what do like, I remember from this show? I mean, you watched it two days ago. I watched it two hours ago, and uh-huh. we're, both, we're both struggling. <laughs> this is why I take so many notes. For those of you who've contributed to the Patreon and have access to our notes, you can see I take so many notes. It's not because I have that many thoughts. It's so much as, like, oh, yeah, I'll need to remember this, because in two days, I won't. I won't remember mm-hmm. this. There was a whole weird bit where, okay, so Space Tony wakes up and he's trying to explain how n- he knows how crazy he sounds because he's describing this monster. And he's like, I might as well be describing Father Christmas. And like, okay, that's fine as a passing metaphor. But then he sort of doubles down on it. Yeah, he really starts describing what if he met yeah. Father Christmas. He's like, like oh, okay. A guy in a red velvet suit and a long beard. Yes, we all know. I mean... I, I, I called him Santa Claus, but I, I get I get what you're getting at, man. Yes, mm-hmm. and the, and he and he's fat and he carry okay, I get it. And he has a set of ar- toys. And he only arrives on the twenty fourth of December. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, dude. thank you, Tony. It would be just like that. And the list of his reindeer. Uh-huh. Which I don't know that Rudolph is canonical. It was in that <laughs> song, but really the original eight are the only ones in the in the poem that, you know. Okay. What's his diagnosis? I don't know, but man, but he's been rattling off about Santa Claus for the past two hours. This guy. Well, okay, so he was on this, uh, he was on this, he was like alone in that space probe for months, maybe years. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just had like a backlog of like uh, uh, Tinseltown podcast to listen to or something. <laughs> Little... Well, it's this or here about how bad Beauty and the Beast the movie was, so. Uh... <laughs> minute by minute. Uh-huh. This is a little plug for you, Brian. You're welcome. <laughs> 
what else? Um, I, so one of the things we don't mention uh, when the when the horrible monster attacks is that he sprinkles lights at you and then you sort of come towards him. Which we got like 20 minutes of people screaming while they sort of pretend to pull themselves across a wall. Uh-huh. And it goes on forever. It's the rays. It seems to be feeding on the rays. Then stop shooting it. <laughs> like, it's eating me. I'm walking towards it. We'll stop walking. To but I'm walking towards it. We'll stop. I can't hear you. I'm being eaten. Yeah. Let me just get my leg under here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. You're welcome. Uh-huh. Just, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I wanted to like this. Mm -hmm. I, I really did. And I, if I had, if I didn't have so many other things to watch, I might even look at more episodes of this. I mean, it's still better than Greatest American Hero. Well, come on. Uh-huh. Is that the worst thing we've watched in this, in this endeavor? I don't remember getting, uh, I don't remember being any more angry than I was when I was watching Greatest American Hero. Also, that was like two hours long, though, so that didn't help. That's true. But I feel like we might have seen something worse than that. Uh, mm, Hilarious House of Frightenstein might have been worse than that. <laughs> that might have been the worst thing that's ever happened to me. You're welcome. Uh-huh. <laughs> or or the Star Wars Holiday Special. Also your Star fault. Wars Holiday Special is way worse than... Uh, that might be the worst one. No. No, I think Frightenstein was worse than that. <sighs> That's just how much I did not enjoy that. <laughs> just to make it very clear. Yeah, I'm looking through the list now, and uh, now some of them are just dumb. Mm -hmm. But no, you're you're right. Greatest American Hero, by far the worst. Always the worst ones come in the 70s or the 80s, though. It's, thanks, the 70s. Well, and the 90s, but that's just because I hate the 90s. Sure. But this show, I would say middle of the pack, honestly. Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't I didn't hate it. There were no, I'm sure I would have, like... I don't know if this episode was the right one, but like, yeah, but it feels like there's something there. It feels like, yeah. like I said, in some ways, it feels like it was trying to continue the legacy of Star Star Trek. Like we were in that period. If it was 1975, we were square in that period of people miss Star Trek. It's not ready to come back yet. Mm. And probably someone else wanted to take a crack at it, but also not just duplicate it whole, you know, whole yeah. cloth. So they did something a little different, but it feels like mm. basically the same kind of thing. And, and, you know. I admire the effort. Yeah. I mean, the fact that this was on television in 1975, e even if it isn't great, is still pretty admirable. Like, mm -hmm. like you know the kind of stuff that was on back then. It, it I was, sure do. Not this. We've watched a couple of them at this point. Yeah, The Incredible Hulk, uh, Night Gallery. Uh-huh. Others. Others. Also. Trying to think of what other 70s show we did. Oh, uh, uh, Tidro brought, uh, brought Dark Shadows. That doesn't really count. Yeah, that's fine. That was on during the day. It's not really like it doesn't stand up with all the uh, primetime shows because it's a different like mm -hmm. different kind of thing. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, you know, not so bad. Yeah. Anything else? It could have it could have been worse. Oh, it could have been much, much worse. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I don't think so. All right. Running a little short, but I mean, that's, you know. This was, this was a very repetitive episode. Like, there's not much more to say about it, I think. I think yeah. We've covered all the salient Once points. Once you get past the monster and the screaming and the monster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you thought the, the ship shots were, were long and dull, you should say. Mm -hmm. Like, that. if you thought that was wasting time, then that that's fair, too. I mean, but... it certainly felt like that, yes. Okay. Then, yeah, between those two things, mm -hmm. I don't have a sense of the characters at all. 
No, they are so bland. Like I would from this episode, I got the impression that Martin Lando and the Doctor Lady are sort of two of the main characters. Yeah, I don't know a thing about either of them after this hour. But like, there's other guy, and I don't know if he's like a main guy or what. I he feel like he has to be just because he's like the white guy, you know? I don't like the young I, white I, guy. I, I thought Martin Lando was supposed to be that guy. Oh, but I don't know. I did know. I did see in your notes that you talked about how old everyone was, and I don't know. I kind of like that. Like. People working in space are going to be people with a lot of experience and education. And like, as much as I love J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, a ship full mm. of 22-year-olds is just not very realistic, you know? No. <laughs> um, I will say this. The people, in, like, aside from Martin Landau, sort of, like, they're not actually old. They just, I figured this out later. They just have very old haircuts. Well, there's that, which is just the 70s. Yeah. But also, I do think the cast skews a little older than what you're used to mm. because, you know... Like, there's definitely been a trend in sci-fi and in all popular entertainment in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years to, like, just make everyone younger and younger and younger. Only, twi- and... only people in their 20s. And I get that in one sense. It's more marketable to put young, sexy people in it. But also, sure. you know. Other people do things. All, that. But I couldn't also... go on any of adventures when in my 20s. I was too stupid. But, I mean, you couldn't now either because you don't know shit about space. I mean, that's also true. I mean, yeah, you co-host the only podcast that's talked about all of Star Trek, but that that doesn't really qualify. Clearly that clearly that gets us nothing, so. Yeah. But, you know, story of our lives there. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, we didn't talk about the fact that a couple of people were playing chess, which is like future chess but somehow more boring? Oh, yeah, I wasn't sure what was happening there. Well, okay, so Star Trek has 3D chess. Sure. Which I have no idea how it works. Apparently, there are actually real uh, rules for it, and that's kind of mm. cool. I I know how to play chess. I don't know enough about chess to sort of, like, extrapolate that. But uh-huh. I, I, I can play, a, you know, a half-decent game of chess. But, um, like, against someone who's as good as me. Not, not mm-hmm. great. Um, this was their future version of chess, which is exactly the same as regular chess, only all the pieces are flat. Okay. Why? The future. What's the what's the advantage? And it's not like they're in weightlessness, like because I've seen that I think on the International Space Station or maybe the space shuttle or something, or like mm. on the mirror. They had chessboards that were like magnetic with pieces that were like not, you know, like the if, if they flew around they wouldn't stab you in the eye or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But this wasn't that. It's just they wanted it to look different. So they made all the pieces look flat and boring. And one of the interesting yeah. things about looking at a chessboard is how different the pieces look. Mm-hmm. You took away the only visually interesting thing about chess, which is like the little guy with the crown and the little guy with the Pope hat and the little guy with the, who is a horse. Uh-huh. Without that, it's just every board game. Way to go. You made chess more boring. Yes. All right. Uh, so my quote. Yes. Is when the first round of people are attacked by the monster. And uh, th- someone describes the the monster over the calm as this. What is in? Wind, noise, light. It's pretty weird. It's pretty weird. About checks out. This is a this is a trained scientist slash astronaut <laughs> describing something as quote pretty weird. And what would you say the the monster looked like? Pretty weird. Pretty weird. All right, let me write that down. Where's our sketch artist? Let's get him in here. It's light. No, it's wind. Oh, good. Two things that are very easy to draw. (laughs) Idiot. 
So would you say it looks like this? Turns on flashlight, starts blowing on the guy. Hey, that's it exactly. It. Yep. Uh, that is pretty weird. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry we doubted you, Space Tony. Yep. I sure hope you don't die. Oh, no. Well, at least he lives on in myth now, <laughs> which is all he ever wanted. <laughs> okay. So that's all for this time. Oh, boy. Yep. Give, given our recent discussion of the worst thing we've ever covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know this, but the listeners oh, do not. Oh, God, that's right. The next thing we're covering. Uh-huh. From the 80s. Uh-huh. So, okay, first of all, I don't think we've addressed this on the show. Now that we know that the Picard show is coming and when it is coming and how many short treks there are, we finally have, like, a schedule. Like, we know when we're getting back on track. We know when yeah. when we're back on the Star Trek road. Uh, and that is, like, the first show of 2020 will be Star Trek. Like, we're the first three weeks of uh, next year are covering all the short treks and then on yeah. to the Picard show. So we knew, what I'm saying is working backwards from that, we knew how many other shows we had to do. So it's like, okay, we need to do a few more of these and then we can do some supplementals and so on and so on. Um, and we used all of our regular guests and we had a couple of slots open. So it's like, okay, well, uh, your wife's always wanted to come on, but also isn't a big Star Trek guy. So this is a perfect opportunity to have her on. Mm-hmm. This would be great. So in a few weeks, uh, we'll be hearing from Mal, which would be great. Never been on the show before. Matt talks about her all the time, but you guys sure don't know who she is. So you get to you get to meet Mal. Uh, great podcaster, by the way. Back in the day, yes. uh, she did a very good podcast, and she doesn't seem all that interested in podcasting anymore. But uh, I like I always thought she had a fantastic presence. I agree. That's why I married her. Yes, because the only reason. Really? <laughs> yep. Huh. I mean, she's got other things going for her it's weird that that's it sure sure those are fine i uh, suppose all right whatever I mean, you guys seem pretty compatible on a number of levels but okay mm-hmm. yeah none fun. of that no but, but podcasting but, is where it's at okay but we had a we had a few slots to fill and like that mm-hmm. was that was a, that was an obvious one like yeah let's finally get mal on the show uh and then we had like another one i was like you know what uh my old friend mark darren and this isn't a bit on this show but on our other show I would talk about Mark because I was so proud of him. He used to work for Telltale Games before they went under. Yep. Uh, and he was just becoming more and more famous in those circles. He won, like, prizes for... Uh, a trophy, I yes. believe. He won a giant trophy for his work on the Walking Dead game. Mm-hmm. And rightly so. Those games rock. Yes. And and he was, like, sort of the main guy behind them. He, he worked on a bunch of them. And as a dude I met in high school, I have known for 30 years. He's one of my closest and dearest friends. Like, I invited five people to my wedding and... Matt was one of them, and Mark was one of them. He's just like a super, super close friend of mine. And I said, hey, Mark, uh, it'd be cool to have you. We've never had you on this show before. Uh, Can you pick something from the 80s? And he's like, well, I don't have a genre show. He's like, I know that's kind of what you're trying to do. You're trying to Mm -hmm. stay sort of sci-fi, fantasy, horror. Like, I don't have anything like that. But would you let me do this? (sighs) Well, all right, because you're you. Because you're a good, dear old friend, and because we will absolutely get a good hour out of this, we will be covering Cop Rock. Oh, boy. The infamous Stephen Bochco uh, cop show from, I, I believe this might technically be a 90s show. I think it came out in 1990, but I'm bending it just enough. Eh, fine, whatever. Um, but uh, yes, we will be covering the pilot episode of the infamous Cop Rock. So, uh, Welp. yeah, if you if you want to track that down the first episode or if you just want to hear it secondhand through us, that's fine. But uh, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a hard needle to thread to find something 
so bad that it's funny. But I think, if anything, this is going to do it. Yeah. There's plenty of things we've sat through is like, this is tedious. But I think, mm-hmm. I think, you know. I can't imagine Cop Rock is going to be tedious. Mm. No, especially the first episode, which is trying to get you up to speed on its insane premise. Uh-huh. Which is, as I understand it, a serious cop show, not a comedy. A serious cop show that also has singing. Oh, my God. This is, this is going to be something, man. Also, the third fucking uh, musical we've done. Yep. Because we did the Buffy musical episode. We did the Steven Universe movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Three musicals. Oh, boy. So that'll be something. So it that, will definitely be something. So that's coming next week. Yeah. Uh, as ever, you want to write to us, post Atomic Horror at Gmail. We will be doing a supplemental near the end of the year. So if mm-hmm. you got if you got stuff you want to talk to us about, uh, happy to hear from you. Yep. Uh, website, postatomichorror.com. The Tumblr, postatomichorror.tumblr.com. We are on Twitter at Algar, at RobotMatt. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to take some NyQuil and go to bed. Yes. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Space 1999 podcast is a co-production of Ron Algarwatt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2019. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this until Star Trek comes back.